0: John chapter 4, verse 43. After the two days he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee where he had made the water wine and at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs And wonders you will not believe the official said to him sir come down before my child dies jesus said to him go your son will live the man believed the word that jesus spoke to him and went on his way and he was going down his as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that this was the hour that Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household this was now the second sign that jesus did when he had come from judea to galilee it wasn't the second sign in all total that jesus had done at this point but in galilee itself, this was the second sign and remember signs are pointing towards something with the apostle john when he uses that word signs it's intended to mean it's pointing to something greater. jesus is doing something that's pointing towards, uh, pointing to God, pointing to his deity, pointing to his His power, is being Messiah, pointing to something greater. That is a sign for John. And this is the uh, only place we find wonders connected with the word signs. And wonders are really something that connect with our our emotions, rather than uh, something that's pointing towards something greater, the wonders that uh, John is pointing out here, what the people in Galilee were interested in really was something that really sparked their emotions. And so John is drawing that out here for us. We see here, this is after the two days, and this is two days that he spent in Samaria. Remember the woman at the well, and Jesus had this dialogue, and then all the people from the city came out to see Jesus, and these Samaritans came to believe and they even testified that jesus was the savior of the world and we even see that in verse 42 the previous section that we have read they said to the woman it is no longer because of what you said that we believe for we have heard ourselves and we know that this is indeed the savior of the world the savior of the world What's ironic about that is we've already seen with these Samaritans, that would be very startling to a Jew that Samaritans would actually come and believe uh, on the Messiah, believe on the Messiah. Assuming that that did happen and there was the Messiah there, that a Samaritan would believe that. The Apostle John is pointing out here uh, the 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 people of jesus the jewish people of jesus the ones that have been given the covenants the ones that have been given the the prophets the historical books all of that history they're not believing jesus but then the samaritans do believe jesus is the savior of the world jesus comes back into this region galilee his home region and they're not going to believe uh as well they're not going to trust in him Verse 44, Jesus says that, uh, he says, John, John is putting a, a parenthetical comment right there. After he went to Galilee, where Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. And so that's an issue for John and, and for Jesus as well. The first thing that we see in just this at the end of chapter 4 is these Samaritans. Actually had a confession. They they believed the word of Jesus. And remember how John starts out the gospel. He starts out by saying, In the beginning was the word, and and, and he goes on through that prologue, and we find out that the Word was with God, and the Word was God, the, the Word, the Word, and so now the Samaritans are believing the Word of Jesus, and they believe that He is the, the Savior of the world. Evidently, He had done some teaching and had presented some truths to them that they received and that they they clung to being the, the Word. You know, when, when John uses that language or that specific word, the Word, uh, it's referring to God's own self-expression. As Jesus is... He's the Word, the living Word. It's God expressing Himself. Much the same way is that when you express yourself in your words, people come to know you through your your words. It's a self-expression. And they know who you are, some of who you are, by what you express to them. Jesus comes as the Word incarnate, the Word enfleshed. And He's expressing God. So to to reject Jesus is to reject the self-expression of God. And so when Jesus is teaching, whether it's at a well or in a synagogue or in the temple or wherever he might be, whatever Jesus is teaching, his teaching, his words are the self-expression of himself. And so when a person rejects the Word, the Word that Jesus is present, they're rejecting Jesus. When they're not trusting, they're not believing the Word that Jesus puts forth, they're rejecting Him as, as a person because that's His self-expression. Now we can, we can dial that back on what I just said, and then when Jesus is rejected, they're actually rejecting God. The self-expression is of God, Jesus being God, of course. So these Samaritans accept the word, but Jesus' people from his hometown or home country, however we uh, translate that word, but his hometown, his home country, that area of Galilee, Nazareth, they don't accept it. They don't accept his word, so they're rejecting. The Apostle John writing, one says his own people are rejecting him. They're rejecting Jesus. They're rejecting the expression, the self-expression of God. And how ironic that is. So the Apostle puts that out there for us. that these people have this God-honoring confession, they say in verse 42 that, hey, it's, it's no longer telling the woman, it's no longer because of what you said, but we've heard for ourselves, that's the word, They've heard from Jesus themselves. And He stayed there two more days, remember. They've heard from Him, and He is the Savior of the Word. They've accepted His Word. And that carries forward to today. Accepting His self-revelation. The Scriptures are the, the, the self-expression of Jesus. He expresses himself since he's not physically here sitting in a chair sitting here with us he's expressing himself through his apostles through this inspired word through them so that we would have his word so that when we receive his word and believe it and trust it we're, we're believing in Jesus we're accepting Jesus so These Samaritans are uh, unique people to set this example. But here he comes and he goes into his hometown. Verse 44, Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. That phrase has caused no uh, lack of uncertainty with commentators for centuries. Why John just puts that in here. Jesus had testified that he didn't get any honor. But then look at verse 43. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. Boy, what 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 is this, what does this mean? this meaning? And what is hometown? Does, does the Apostle John mean Nazareth, the hometown of Jesus itself, or does he he mean Galilee? This this is that could could translate it as home country, that that one? Or is he referring to both Galilee and Judea, who had the Jerusalem area, the north and the south? They've rejected Jesus, but those in the middle, the Samaritans, have received Him. And so that's one that we just have to continue to to wrestle with, but it's an expression that Jesus uses that people will not uh, believe in Him. Now, for example, if we just turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 13, you'll see some parallels here. Matthew chapter 13, verse 53. I'll just read there a few verses, about five or six verses. Matthew chapter 13, verse 53. And When Jesus had finished these parables, He went away from there, and coming to His hometown, He taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? It is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? They took offense at him, but Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown, and in his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. And then if we just turn to the next gospel, the gospel of Mark, chapter six, we see a parallel, just helping us gain some context on that phrase. Chapter six, verse one, gospel of Mark. He went away from there and came to his hometown. And his disciples followed him, and on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James?" Joseph, and Judas, Simon, and are not his sisters with us, here with us? And they took offense at him, and Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his own town and among his relatives, and in his own household. And he could not, could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people, and healed them, and he marveled, because of their unbelief, and the shock of their unbelief. So Jesus is really pointing to the picture that people that ought to know him <laughs> won't believe. The people that don't really know him, that don't have the revelation of God, the Samaritans, they only use those first five books of the Bible, remember, the Pentateuch. They have a lot less revelation from God than the people of Jesus. Jesus comes on the scene, is even in their own synagogue and is teaching. Find that with Jesus, there's this familiarity problem. We've thought about this before. But it's a problem of being too familiar with Jesus. And that's what was going on in his hometown. They were too familiar with him. He grew up in their hometown. He knew he was a carpenter's son. He'd taken up the trade of his father. They knew who his, who his mother was. And he knew, they knew his brothers and their sisters. They knew Jesus as a boy growing up, playing out in the town in the community. They were familiar with Jesus and could not believe what he was teaching, what he was presenting. And even these miraculous works, they they couldn't break through on that. There, there wasn't a breakthrough in seeing that well he would be exceptionally different. There is a familiarity problem with these people and they will not accept this new revelation that's coming. And we face that today. We can be too familiar with Jesus in a certain sense. In another sense, we can't ever exhaust, we can't ever be too familiar with Jesus. There's so much to learn and so much to know. But there's there's another sense in which we're so familiar with Jesus, why, again, we've read John chapter 3, we've read John chapter 4, we know the woman at the well. We, we, we know these things. We know how the first chapter of John starts. We're so familiar with Jesus that if, if God was wanting to open our eyes, break through, push into our life, show something different about Himself in a passage in a gospel that we know very well for some of us, some may be introduced to it the first time, others very familiar with Jesus. Perhaps they're not familiar in the sense of having gone through the, word, the Scriptures and studied about Jesus, but really familiar in our culture, really familiar with Jesus. I mean, who hasn't heard of Billy Graham, or who hasn't seen some crusade on TV, or some evangelistic rally, or turn to the religion channel. or There's just a lot of familiarity with Jesus in our culture, in our lives. And if we're not careful, one thing we can grasp from this passage is if we're not careful, we can be so familiar with Jesus and, and how we have had Him, in our life and the position he's been in our life that if God was breaking through and saying, I'm going to change you, I'm going to change that situation. I'm going to turn your life upside down for my glory and for your best. And we, we would just, that doesn't, we would be too familiar. we said, say, no, we, we might reject Jesus because of that. So it's a reminder to come to the gospels, come to the scriptures, come to the Bible with fresh eyes, asking God to give us fresh eyes, just like the Psalm says, open my eyes that I may see. The hymn writer had it right on that one again. Open my eyes that I may see, that God would open our eyes and we'd see something very fresh. Well, there's also this problem of entertainment. Jesus even tells them as much. Jesus said to him, This man that comes, unless you see. Unless you see signs and wonders, those will be taken together. Signs and wonders. You will not believe. Because these people had been down to Jerusalem and they'd seen Jesus do some pretty miraculous things. Some very miraculous things. He comes to the people. He's challenging the man that's coming there to, to face Jesus. challenging him. You people, and that you there is plural. Uh, Almost every commentator is quick to point that out, so Jesus doesn't mean just him. He means everybody. You people. You people, unless you see signs and wonders, you won't believe. A way we might put that in the 21st century is, unless you're entertained, and unless there's some fireworks going off unless there's something dramatic going on unless you see something may not be a, a Jesus sign or a Jesus wonder but unless you see something spectacular why well, you won't believe you wouldn't believe in silence you wouldn't believe Through something as mundane as my word, you would want something spectacular, awe inspiring. And if you don't get that, you're not interested. That going on anywhere in the 21st century. Unless you go in, and it's a rock concert. Unless the fog's moving, unless the lights are moving, we have the blue here the red here the green here. Unless you have some entertainment, unless you have some spectacular thing going on in front of your place, unless you have something stimulating,
1: your emotions,
0: why? real deep on this one in our own personal life because we're on the threshold of a time if you're addicted to the entertainment model for Jesus that may be hard to replicate in your own home in your basement or wherever you're going to bug out to what happens? You're gonna bug out? And how are you gonna worship Jesus? Because I just like that entertainment. I, I like those signs and wonders. What you're not gonna now you're not gonna be able to worship Jesus? What's wrong with your model of worship? Something's wrong. These people could not connect with him. They knew him so well. And they're, according to Jesus, not interested. And lest they get entertained. American, a sign, a sign, a wonder. A sign and wonders, John's putting here. He uses sign several times, but here is wonders also. Meaning spectacular. Appeals to the emotions. That feels so great. Thirty minutes later, it's just another day. So they have that familiarity problem. They have that entertainment problem. Not receiving the word of Jesus. Now this man comes from Capernaum. He's an official. In some of our in some of our Bibles it, it say nobleman. Nobleman comes an official. He's an official, probably most likely in. Uh, the, the royal court of Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas was the son of Herod the Great. And so this man was probably an official in, of some notoriety, of some, some responsibility, some authority. He's coming from Capernaum to where Jesus is, and he's in a desperate situation. But the, the message today is titled, Blessed desperation. He's desperate. His baby, his son, his child is about to die. The worst possible thing for a parent, the worst possible situation. God uses this situation in the sovereignty of God. Jesus is there at the time. But the man hears Jesus has come from Jerusalem. He's back in the, in the region. He's not in Capernaum. He's way over there in Cana. And, and he, he urgently goes to see Jesus. He's got some urgency about Him. This man says, he came to Jesus and asked. That word means uh, a continual, a repeated action. He didn't just casually come in and ask Jesus, could you help me? He was uh, repeating himself. It was urgent. He was pressing. He was desperate. Can you come? Can you come? Can you come? Come now. Come now. Come now. Can you, can you come? Help My my son's going to die. He said, it says here in verse 47, for he was at the point of death. Come down. He wanted him to come. And then... It seems like that he this he might have swelled up a little bit in his, his spirit because he has he's an official in this court. And he's saying to, to Jesus, Sir, sir, verse 49, Sir, come down. Some stress, some emphasis. And of course Jesus is not interested in bending to his de- desires. But Jesus doesn't go, He says, sir, come. My son's about to come. Come do something. Help me in this situation. Well, as far as this man knew, Jesus could only operate in the physical presence of His Son. Being a healer, being a miracle worker, Jesus would need to be there. Come in, maybe lay hands. The son, he'd need to be there as far as that man knew with his limited knowledge of who Jesus is. Jesus wants to establish something that God can extend, he, the Messiah, can extend mercy from anywhere. Isn't that encouraging for us today? That, that God can extend his mercy. This child is ultimately healed as we see here and as we read he is healed jesus doesn't have to be there he can sovereignly extend his mercy even though that's 16 20 miles away and we reread that the the son is he is in fact healed he, he's he's made well Jesus is making it clear that He does not have to be there. And that will be really important for His apostles to grasp hold to, His disciples to grasp hold to, because what will they do without Jesus? I mean, at some point in time later on, they're not going to be, He's not going to be there with them. What will they do? Jesus can act and not be physically present. So He makes that really clear. once again, as with changing water to wine, Jesus is showing he has authority over the physical realm. He has authority over creation. Only God can do that. The Apostle John wants us to see that. Remember that this this block that we see, starting in chapter 2, ending in chapter 4, Jesus goes to Cana at that wedding, changes water to wine, That's an immediate miracle, immediate change. Jesus has control over the created order. This ministry continues and takes place. We come to the end of chapter 4. Jesus shows uh, something else, demonstrates another thing. He has control, power, over the created order. He has the divine authority over the physical realm. Now, for us today, that doesn't seem so shocking, being exposed, being familiar with <laughs> Jesus. But back in their, their day, that would be very, very shocking. That some kind of, you know, there's miracle workers circulating around in the culture. There's people claiming to do great works of miracles. But but this one, and they, they may make a, a little slight Maybe a slight improvement in someone's health because they went to a service or something. But Jesus changes water to wine. Dynamically, something completely different. This child, the witnesses are there, the household servants are there, everyone sees, is on the way to death, is about to die. Something dynamically, physically changes. Jesus has control over the physical realm. He has authority as the Creator. Well, we see that this this man has this this belief, this this believing. Verse fifty, Jesus said, "Go." And that's a that's a that's a command. Go, your son will live. The. The man believed, it says. He believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went on his way. Now see, in verse 48, Jesus had said, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now here comes a a man out of a royal court, some sort of authority, very exposed to politics. Economics and all of those things being in, a, in an official capacity. He comes and he wants Jesus to come, but he's desperate for Jesus to move. He has no other other alternative than to come to Jesus. Don't know if you've ever been there, but no other alternative but to come to Jesus for some refreshment of, of our own souls. No other place to go. He, this man has no other Um, Then you know the place to go. Surely he had exhausted all of his options in Capernaum on a way that his son would be healed. And it says here, Jesus gave us this command, Go, go, your son will live. And the man believed his word. (laughs) The Samaritans believed his word too. But those in his own hometown wouldn't believe it. They want signs and wonders. But this man believes his his word so jesus can do all of this, this this powerful miraculous work from a great distance he has authority over the physical realm and then what we find with this man and the apostle wants to give us this picture of true belief and it's the the acceptance of the word of god and it's so the obedience to the word of God. he accepted He stopped with his urgent pleas, and it was a plea for sure. He stopped with that urgent plea, and and he accepted the word of Jesus, and he moved on in obedience. True belief. That's what Jesus wanted to teach. That's what Jesus wants the people to say, to see. I don't have to be there. It's not about me being there to do a miraculous healing for you, a miraculous sign for you. It's about you believing my word, stepping out and obeying my word and letting me do something great in your life through that. Through that faith and through that obedience. Counter to other kinds of beliefs that the apostle is showing. The word believe is used repeatedly over and over and over and over in the Gospel of John. And so we know that belief is important. Faith is important for the the, the, uh, apostle John. And so whenever we see that word, we know that there's something important on his mind. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke and went on his way. He went. This true belief not false belief but some that are coming and just seeing signs when this true belief accepts jesus lord they accept the self-expression of god now we have to come to terms whether or not this scripture is the self-expression if that's the word of god for some of you, you've crossed that line a long time ago. You, you receive it as the word of God. You accept it as the word of Jesus. And, and to reject it, of course, the apostles, the way they communicate it, they sure believe it's the word of Jesus. But to, to reject the word is to reject that self-expression. And, and to not obey the word, then is to also to reject that self-expression. To rejecting Jesus and then in rejecting God. Jesus is giving this audible word to this man, but He may not give us an audible word, but He's given us His written word which the man did not have. Which the Spirit uses to impress upon our heart. Acceptance. Stepping out in obedience to the Word. So we see this belief, this true belief, this faith stepping out commitment obedience accepting it he goes down to this this on his way to capernaum and he meets uh, those that served in his home they asked about when this and this healing took place about the seventh hour that's being some some specificity for the apostle john means very specific and the father knew, he knew something, that that was the hour that Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed, and he already believed because he moved out in acceptance and he moved moved out in faith. But this believing, it seems, as the apostle is repeating here, that he believed, he believed more concretely, he believed deeper, he was committed more to it. He saw that the word of Jesus actually had an impact in his life and he really was committed to it. He believed and then all of his household believed. This this true belief, his belief, was enlarged. Jesus enlarges it. How? Through a personal testimony. Surely when he goes here to meet these people, that he's telling them uh, about what he experienced. And it says all of his household, these, these servants, people in, in his home, they're coming to believe too. Well, he has to be giving a testimony of some, some kind. And surely he is telling them, well, that was at the very time that Jesus of Nazareth said this. And so he's giving that personal testimony. And, and then there's this commitment that they're making. here. He has a deeper commitment themselves. They're making a commitment to it. There's some evidence that's involved. All of this, and life change is taking place and people are coming into it because they actually see life change. This man comes down. He, he, he has this experience with Jesus. He's accepting His Word. He's walking in obedience to His Word. And Jesus works something very powerfully in His life. He's able to share that experience with others in the Kingdom of God. This is the focus for the Apostles that the kingdom of God is enlarging, the power of God is, is being seen in this particular miracle. People today may or may not see the power of God in the lives of those claiming to be Christians. The kingdom of God advances person comes to genuine, true faith, accepting the word, accepting what they read, what they can understand, what we all can understand, applying it to our life, living in it, being able to give a testimony on on our commitment to God and our understanding of God, and then seeing in our own life God work, and then other people seeing change in your life, change in our life. God's kingdom advancing through that. So, Couple of takeaways. Jesus always has a better way. He always has a better way. And the better way is discovered through accepting His word and obeying His word, obeying His guidance. He always has a better way. What this man did obviously was not wrong. He had a crisis in his family, a situation in his family. He's looking to do the very best he can for his son. A crisis situation comes to Jesus, who done some miraculous things. He's heard the report of that. Come to see my, come to see my son. And Jesus doesn't go. Jesus has something better. That doesn't mean in our life that that experience will be repeated. It'd be something else, but it'll be better. For this this man, his son was healed. He himself came to a deeper understanding of who Jesus is and a commitment to Jesus, a deeper faith in Jesus. He was able to share that deeper faith and other people embraced it. They saw something greater happen. And the, the man had... Nothing like that on his mind when he comes to interact with Jesus and plead with Jesus to come heal his son. God always has a better way than what we expect. God, Jesus, very often initiates faith. He matures our faith. grows our faith through difficult situations. I like to say it this way. God is always up to something. He's always up to something. He's never not up to something in your life. In each one of our lives. It's not that he's, he's up to something in Arizona, but not in California today, or in the neighbor's house across the street, and not in your house. God is always up to something, and He's always up to something that's that's leading to that which is better than what we expect. Always. That is a thing that we have to cling to, we have to hope on, ground our hope on, what is God doing He's always doing something better than what we expect. And and we have to wrestle through His Word, obey where we can understand, submit to His authority. He's always up to something better than what anyone would expect. you believe that? What about the situation in your country today? Do you believe that? Do you believe God is up to something in this nation today? Do you believe God is up to something in this state today? I don't mean this party. I don't mean this political leader. I don't mean this worldview or philosophy God is He up to something? We have to come to terms. If we believe that, then in the first place, we can find comfort in that that God is doing something that's beyond what I understand. I don't understand it, but God is doing something. I'm going to hold on. <laughs> I'm going to. I'm going to hold on to God and God's people. I'm going to hold on. And walk forward trusting in him because God is always up to something better than what we are expecting. He always meets and exceeds expectations. And to hear some of the conversation and the news reports and things like that out around, you would think God isn't even in this country. I hope he is. He may not be in some places, but you would think that God was had gone completely to the African continent or South America. He eh? wasn't even here because we're gonna do something, and it's just like God's not even here. Boy, that's ground for believers. That's a testimony for Jesus. You hear? your hope. God's always up to something better. You have Jesus in your life. He's always up to something better for your good and for His glory. He brings situations to people's lives, difficult situations, to bring people into the faith and then once they're in it, once we're in it, to mature us and help us grow. Confidence that God is working powerfully, no matter what the circumstances and questions that might be out there in the world around us. So here's a question. How does or how would God want to use this situation? or uh-uh how would God want this situation to be used to advance His glory His honor, His name and advance my spiritual growth this man from Capernaum had a very hard situation in his life some of you today have some very hard very real situations in your life No denial. Not denying. Not not living in some philosophical never-never land. Concrete. Reality. Where is your hope? What is God doing? What is God doing in this situation? Because He's always doing something. So what is He doing to magnify His glory and His name? Now that's not an easy question. That's That's a difficult one. Wherever you are, whatever situation you have in your life, it's it's not altogether easy, some days it may be, but other times it's very difficult to see how this could be happening for God's name, for God's glory. And then how would God be using that situation Could be in your home, could be in your your job, could be in your family, could be in your nation How is God using that to grow me? How is He doing that to mature you, to strengthen you? You think God brings circumstances into your life by accident? Ah, uh, I'm not supposed to believe that, am I? Ah, no, I'm not supposed to believe that. Okay, you're right. God doesn't bring anything. by accident. He's not surprised. How is that situation in the sight of God, how would he want it to be used to make his name great? His name's already great, but greater through you. How is he, if we believe, if we truly believe, that God is about the business of taking His people and growing them into Christ-likeness, to be more and more like Jesus. If we really believe that, well then whatever situation you're in or we're in together, how is He going to use that to shape us and mold us to be more like Jesus and face the challenges and face the uncertainties that are there? How How is He doing? Each of us has to deal with that question on our own. We can encourage one another, of course. But I see in a passage like this, in the whole Gospel of John, in this one, a grounding for hope in our situation. Taking Jesus at His Word, taking the Word of God, applying it, obeying it where we can, sharing our testimony, allowing other peoples, helping them to get excited about Jesus, His whole household belief, them to get excited about Jesus. And Jesus, the name of Jesus is magnified. He didn't have to be there. He was 20 miles 16 miles away. His name is magnified. He's different than what we thought. It's not just signs and wonders. His name is greater. He's different than what we thought, people. Can't you just hear them? Don't let your situation, don't let your crisis, don't let our crisis, our uncertainty and just go by living in pain and pulling us down. Think of it in terms of how will, how will God, how is God, how does God want this situation to be used to honor His name and to, to strengthen me, to strengthen us to be more like Jesus. God, thank you for this passage. The Apostle John writing in a very unique way, of course, in areas that uh, are very plain to us in other areas which are not so plain uh, but see you Jesus doing something spectacular and wonderful in this man's life in this time of crisis in this time of, of uncertainty in a time of hardship but doing something far beyond what he had expected I pr- pray that for your people here in this room uh, today there are Many that uh, in this room and elsewhere that are carrying heavy burdens, Lord, I pray that you would work in a way that would be so surprising and so exciting and so unexpected that it would be deep, wonderful, powerful joy. Help us to encourage one another and hold one another up, and and, uh, that we could live into this, knowing that you're always acting, you're always working uh, for your glory and for our growth. God, as your people go out from here this week, I pray that you would give that protection, especially in our minds, especially in our minds. God, just the assault that's going on against the the minds of your people daily and uh, the assault against our spirit. Help us not to be be driven down by the things and the things in this world, but help us to be lifted up by you, Spirit. Lift, Lift us up to your joy, God. So I pray for your people this week that you would give them an exceptional an exceptional experience of your love and mercy. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.